Hey there, true believers, and welcome to Simply Devotion, the podcast that takes complex theological ideas and breaks them down into points of simply understanding. I am your host, Pastor Vinny. And I'm the podcaster that likes to remind you, when life throws a monkey wrench at your head, Jesus is still the logo, the logic, the reason, the word that builds your faith all the way back to the kingdom of God. Welcome back to another episode of Simply Devotion with Pastor Vinny from simplyvinny.com. And we are continuing our study on eschatology, particularly the eschatology of Jesus. And that word simply means the study of last day events. And we've been predominantly looking at the book of Matthew so far, Matthew 24. Today, I want to really deep dive into this idea of prophetic signs. What is the purpose of prophetic signs? Why did Jesus leave us prophetic signs? What should we do with these prophetic signs? Additionally, and I also want to look at some of the similarities and differences that we find in the various different gospel accounts of this Sermon of Olives, this particular sermon that Jesus gave on the Mount of Olives about the end of the world. And we will particularly look at not only Matthew 24, which me and Pastor Travis from Adventology have been looking at over the last couple weeks, but we will look at some of the variances and Uh, Even similarities in Luke 21 and Mark 13. It is amazing that Jesus has this sermon recorded three times, and each time it's just a little bit different, with Matthew 24 being the largest one. Before I jump right into the material, we begin to talk about signs and wonders and earthquakes and various things like that that we find in this prophetic uh, sermon. First, I just want to ask a real simple thing. If you listen to this podcast on iTunes, or even if you don't, you could go over to iTunes and you could rate or leave a comment about this podcast. I would only ask this of you in order that other people who are scrolling through the many different podcasts that are out there might see this one with a good rating and decide to listen to it. I am unsure of other podcast formats uh, or platforms where you listen to my podcast from have a rating system or not. Some do, some don't. But if yours does, I know iTunes does, then I would appreciate that. I am just looking for your help to build my audience. I want to once again remind you, I provide all of this content to you, both this podcast, my website, uh, my many sermons, all of these things are provided to you, all my blogs, so forth, free of cost. I do not take donations, nor do I um, put sponsorship in my program. So um, whatever way you can help get the word out, it is just um, helping to spread the gospel. Now, that that's out of the way. Let's talk about signs and what are the purpose of prophetic signs. Now, sometimes when we talk about signs, we may not fully understand what a person means, you know, because this idea of a sign is kind of used as a modern day colloquialism or idiom, right? Like expression, right? Like, you know, so we might say something like, you know, I woke up this morning and I hit my foot and I, that should have been a sign for the way the rest of the day is going to go. Um, well, I guess that's a sign, but how is that a sign? Is that a sign from the universe? Is that a sign from like, you need to clean up your house so that, you know, you don't step on things? I don't know what that's a sign of, but we have that colloquial 
use of the word sign. Or, you know, maybe sometimes we might think about it in a, like, a positive sense, right? Like, you know, I went out and uh, I got coffee and, you know, the barista said it's on you. And, you know, I just should have known that was a sign from the universe that this project I was late to, you know, it was going to be great. But again, are these things connected or are they just sort of coincidence, you know? So if I stub my toe and then maybe I'm expecting to have a bad day after that. And like, so I begin to interpret or filter all the events of my day through this bad happening. Or if I get a free coffee given to me by a nice barista at Starbucks or insert your favorite coffee shop, Tim Hortons for you Canadians, for sure. Anyways, uh, I might then begin to interpret it all the good things that happened to me that day through that sign. But what does Jesus mean when he says there are signs? It's interesting because Jesus, much like I have just done here and I've just modeled, Jesus talks about signs in a positive way as if they are something you should be looking for. And he talks about them in a negative way, as if they are something to be avoided. Now, that is fascinating that he would talk about them in two different ways. So we want to find out which way he meant for which thing so that we can understand signs, that signs can help us understand time, that time can under help us understand history and where we are in history so that we may decode prophecy or the study of end time events. But we want to do this in a way that might be, you know, more helpful than stubbing our toe or getting a free coffee. We don't, in other words, we don't want to interpret our existence or our experience based on the sign, but we want to find out what Jesus says is the correct usage of signs. So one place I would look to to think about an example of Jesus affirming the need to look for prophetic signs and to understand prophetic signs would be in the book of Matthew, chapter 16, verse 6, where Jesus says, In the morning, you say, it will be a stormy day, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. Okay, this is pretty important. It's a pretty clear statement. You know, Jesus is like, hey, even farmers or anyone living in an agricultural um, society can look up at the sky and say, you know, it's red over there where the sun's coming down, there's clouds, whatever. You know, we think it's going to rain tomorrow. And so Jesus like, you know, something as unpredictable as the weather, you think you can understand. But when it comes to do with spiritual signs or prophetic signs, you, you think that no one can understand anything about signs. So this is actually Jesus in a positive light talking about signs and that they are reasonable and that they are not hard to get and that, yeah, you should be paying attention. Again, you know, he warns us that we should be paying attention to various signs at various times. Now, not all times are the same. In Matthew 12, for example, in verse 38, there's an example of the Pharisees and the scribes demanding a sign from Jesus. And then in John 4, verses 48, again, there's another sign, another demand going on for Jesus to show a sign. And Jesus like, look, you won't believe unless someone gives you a sign. In both of these cases, Jesus seems to be taking the need or the requirement of a sign in order to believe something to be true as being negative. 
Okay, so in the one case, Jesus puts it as a positive. Like, you should go looking for a sign. Signs are every place. You should ignore them. Again, this would be Matthew 16 and verse 3. You know, you can tell the signs of the sky and the weather patterns. Why can't you tell the signs of the return of Jesus Christ, right? So that's a positive use of signs. You should be using them. But then in Matthew 12 and um, John 4, 48, Jesus is saying, but you can take a sign too far if you demand it in order to believe something. In fact, he makes this very blunt in Matthew 16, 4. Listen to what he says. It is an evil and adulterous generation that seeks a sign. But no sign will be given to them except for the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed from them. That's um, Matthew 16, 4. Oh, now the sign of Jonah is a particular sign. And so, you know, this helps us to understand what kind of sign is good and what kind of sign is bad. The sign of Jonah was simply that Jesus was in the ground three days and three nights, like Jonah was in the belly of the whale, right? And so the context for the signs that they wanted was a reason to believe that Jesus was God or the Messiah or the Son of God, whatever way you want to see it, right? And in these other instances, often scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees, people of political uh, notoriety or religious institutional power, they're coming to Jesus and they're like, hey, People are saying you're a prophet. People are saying you might be the Messiah. You know, let us inspect your magic juju, right? Like, let us inspect your special, you know, hex powers, right? Like, it's it's almost insulting. They're like, you know, people think you're a Messiah or that you might be the son of God. We don't, but okay, go ahead and get your Harry Potter wand out. Let, let us see a little miracle here and we'll inspect it. And, you know, maybe you'll make us into a believer. Well, those are the kinds of signs that Jesus calls a wicked and adulterous generation seeking a sign. Look, either Jesus is God or he's not. It's not hard to figure out which you think it is, but Jesus is not going to do a song and a dance to prove it to you. Okay. Maybe there's also still a little bit of a deeper application for us today, okay? Maybe even in prophetic signs, which Jesus seems to affirm, if I need a little sign every day or every week or, you know, every couple months, you know, and I turn things into signs that are not signs, maybe that's because, ah, I'm like the wicked and adulterous generation that I can't believe Jesus is still coming back unless you give me a sign. That would be what I would call an improper use of a sign. In other words, Jesus gave a sign so that when we seen them being fulfilled, we would know what season or hour we're in. Sort of like the weather thing, right? Like when the sky is a certain color, you think a certain thing, right? So when you see a certain sign, you think a certain thing, right? But if I need signs or I need signs to keep me believing or, you know, I hate to say it, but many Christians are guilty of manufacturing signs out of everything. Like I remember when Barack Obama became president I was doing evangelism in a rural community. I was holding a revelation seminar and someone heard that I was holding a revelation seminar in a rural community and that I had hundreds of people coming out and they called me up and they're like, do you want to become a guest on our radio show this afternoon? We hear you're having prophecy meetings and you're teaching people about the book of Revelation. And so I went and here I am on the air on, on local radio. And this Guy asked me, like, out of no place, do you think Barack Obama is the Antichrist? Like, what kind of question is that? Like, and that's basically what I said. What kind of question is that? 
And he's like, well, you know, people are saying stuff that they've never had a president like this guy. And, you know, I'm like, like what? Is this some sort of racist thing? But here's my point. People look for reasons to find something to make it into a big deal to be a sign. Don't let them. Don't let them corner you. So I said to him, look, the Bible is very clear on these things. And if your listeners want to know who I think the Antichrist is, they ought to come out to my prophecy seminar. So I sort of turned it around on him, right? Like he thought he was going to use me and, you know, maybe get me to see, say something sensational on his radio show. And I just flipped it the other way around, right? But I say all this not to talk about the Antichrist necessarily, but or to talk about politics, because that's not my thing, but just to basically say people will use a sign for their own evil and selfish reasons. That is not what Jesus intended signs to be. Now, there are direct signs in the Sermon of Olives or the Sermon of the Mount of Olives, the sermon that is found in Matthew 24 and also duplicated to a degree in Matthew 21. And there's another version of it in Mark 13. You know, all three accounts of this synoptic uh, sermon found in, Uh, that started at the temple steps and moved forward to the Mount of Olives where Jesus gives his eschatological outlook on the end of the world. All three of these sermons begin and end with various signs. Now, these are good signs, but we still should not make more of them than Jesus intends them to be. And the metric we use to make sure we don't do that is are we being faithful to what the bible is saying about this sign or are we using this sign to sort of you know amp up and rev up our own need for affirmation so that we keep on keeping on and believing because i should keep on keeping on and keep on believing because jesus is good to me not because you know i saw something on the news and even though it's not necessarily directly tied to what jesus meant i can kind of halfway turn it into a sign and build some sort of point over it so we must be careful when we look at prophetic signs that we do not do that. I really felt in my conversations with Travis from Adventology, he was really good at walking that line of understanding what a sign was and wasn't. I'm going to hit up a few of them that appear in all accounts of this eschatological sermon of Jesus in Matthew 24, Mark 13, and Luke 21. You know, the big sign that we often miss is that all three of these synoptic versions of this sermon all include the destruction of the temple. And remember, we covered this with Travis, that there's this threefold thing that Jesus says at the beginning of this sermon that... Uh, what will be the sign of the destruction of the temple, of his uh, second coming, and of the end of the earth. Let me just grab that for you, and we'll take a look at it. Hold on. In Matthew 24, Jesus left the temple, and he was going with his disciples. His disciples pointed out the temple to him. In verse 2, he answered and said, Do you see all these things? Truly I say to you, there will not be left one here, one stone upon another, that will not be thrown down. Jesus is talking about the temple being destroyed. And we know historically that did happen in 70 AD. And then when he went to them privately, he was talking with them privately now up on the mountain. They asked, when will be these things of your coming and the end of the age? So we can see that this sermon that Jesus is using both talks about an event that's going to happen in the life of the apostles, the destruction of the temple in 70 AD, but also his second coming and the end of the age, which probably is a reference to the end of sin in the whole known universe. Okay. Let's look at um, 
Mark13's account and see if we find the same thing there. And in Mark 13, Mark 13 and verse 2, Jesus said to them, Do you see these great buildings? Referring to the temple buildings. There will and, and Jerusalem at large, the temple buildings and Jerusalem at large. Do you see these great temple buildings? There will not be one stone left upon another. They will all be thrown down. And then he goes on and talks about the rest of the items that they need to know about in terms of his second coming and the end of the age. Now, what about Luke's account? Luke is even more clear. Luke 21 and verse 5, um, while they were speaking of the temple or about the temple. So Luke makes it clear that this item is about the temple and how it's adorned with noble stones and offering. They said, when will these things be? When will be the day that they will not be left, that there will not be left one stone upon another? but they all will be thrown down. Again, they go on to talk about the second coming and the end of the age again. So what's my point? My point is in Matthew 24, in Mark 13, and in Luke 21, all three versions of this sermon, they all talk about the very first sign being the destruction of the temple. And I'm here to tell you the temple was absolutely destroyed in 70 AD. No scholar doubts that it happened. And that created what we now know as the Jewish dysphoria, right? Where the Jews ran for their life. There were some other um, Jewish wars and skirmishes, Masada, and maybe over by the Dead Sea Scrolls, there were some some parts of this revolt that came up. But, but basically in 70 AD, Jerusalem and Israel was finished. Rome sacked it under Titus. And we'll um, look at that here again in a second. But the point I want to make right now is that in Luke's account, in Luke's account, he clearly says that um, not one stone will remain upon another, but all will be thrown down. And so when I was in Jerusalem and I toured the uh, temple, the Temple Mount, the temple's no longer there, but the mount where the temple was, it's huge. Just even the Temple Mount is huge. Um, there literally are rocks at the bottom of the Temple Mount that were a part of the mount and a part of the, the buildings that were thrown down directly, directly fulfilling Luke's words, Matthew's words, Mark's words. Now, why is this important? Because this goes to how signs work. You know, we're not looking for giant rocks to fall out of the sky and to therefore say, oh, this is what Jesus was talking about. We are not looking for like uh, some temple to topple over in some third world country. And we'll say, oh, this is what Jesus was talking about. No, the sign is that what Jesus said would happen to Jerusalem did happen. And we know it happened because the temple is still gone to this day and the rocks from it are still on the ground to this day, just like Jesus said it was. Now, basically what happened when the temple was destroyed and Jerusalem was destroyed and the Jews went into dysphoria happened exactly like this sermon that Jesus gave laid out. In fact, Christians did not get caught up in this war or this fight because they were saw themselves as still Jews, even though Jesus had been resurrected and went to be with the Father. They didn't necessarily see themselves as a different religion yet. And many of them continued to live in Jerusalem, even a surface level reading of the epistles and the book of Acts clearly outlined that for us, right? At this stage in the development, they didn't even call themselves Christians. They called themselves the way after Jesus saying he was the way, the truth, and the life, you know. Um, it's not until Antioch 
and Paul's ministry that they adopt the name Christians. Again, you can see the book of Acts for more details. But in this early Christian development time, there were still Christians, what we would now call Christians, living in Jerusalem, but they didn't get killed, nor did they get sent into dispersia, but the Jews did. And why? Not because God loved one more than the other, not because God favored one more than the other. There was only one simple reason. Christians remembered this sermon that Luke, Mark, and Matthew recorded that Jesus preached. And in that, Jesus warned them about the desolation of abominations. This idea that something evil was going to happen to Jerusalem and that they should be on guard and that they should look for the signs. And this helps us further understand signs in the prophecies of Jesus. When the Christians saw that Jerusalem was being surrounded by Titus, who was uh, the, well, he was the emperor and he commanded the army of the Romans, the Christians remembered what Jesus had said in this sermon. They saw it as, you guessed it, a sign. Isn't that awesome? Let me get the passage for you here. I'm looking directly at Luke's account. We can compare it here in a minute if we want to. Um, but Luke 21, verse 20, But when Jerusalem is surrounded by the armies, then know that the desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are inside the city depart. And let not those who are outside the country enter it. These are the days of vengeance, as it will be fully written. Alas, the women who are pregnant and those who are nursing with the infants in those days, it will be a day of great distress and so forth and so forth. Christians didn't get caught up in that because they remembered this sign, this in Matthew 24's version of this same sermon in verse 15. Jesus says, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are on the housetop take it down and, 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 and go into his house. Let those who are in the field not return back to get their cloak. Alas, it will be a hard time for those who are pregnant and with nursing infants. Pray that your flight may not be in the winter or on the Sabbath. And so there you have it. Like again, right? This idea that Christians could see a sign, recognize a sign, respond to a sign. And you know what? Not only were they saved, think about it. This sign also is still a sign to us because we know historically beyond any doubt the temple was destroyed. Why is that a big deal? Well, just think about it. This happened 30 to 40 years after Jesus died. If Jesus could accurately predict the destruction of the temple, something no Jew would ever dream would happen, then huh, his other signs are probably true too. You see, we get confidence in all the signs of Jesus. We get confidence in all the eschatology of Jesus. Because his big sign, like the destruction of Jerusalem, the dispersia of the Jews, the destruction of the temple, this is huge stuff no one would have dreamed about in antiquity. But it happened just as Jesus said. And furthermore, still is true. I told you, I've been there. I've walked the grounds around the Temple Mount. I have huge stones down there. I took pictures with huge stones down there. I could put them in a link in the show notes. It's exactly today as Luke said it would be. Therefore, take heart, Christians. 
When we take Jesus at his word of what a sign means, instead of trying to invent some sort of crazy conspiracy theory about signs, then when we see them happen, they affirm the truth of the words of Jesus and keep us trusting in his other words. So look at it this way. When Matthew tells us that the time will come when many will be led astray, when there will be wars and rumors of wars, verse 6, and that nation will rise against nation, verse 7, and that there will be famines and earthquakes and pestilences in various places, verse 7. And this is all the beginning of birth pains, verse 8, and that there will be tribulation and that we will be hated for um, his name's sake and that many will fall away and that people will betray each other and that the love of many will grow cold and that all who endures to the end will be saved. That's a whole lot of trouble with a little bit of good news at the end. How can we hold on to that little bit of good news at the end? Those who endure to the end will be saved. Here's how. We know the words of this prophecy are true because the temple was destroyed in 70 AD and that part of the prophecy was fulfilled. Therefore, we can trust that the rest of the prophecy is true. Just like in verse 15, when he talks about the desolation of abomination and praying it doesn't happen on a Sabbath, we know that's actually true as well. It didn't happen on a Sabbath, but it did happen exactly how he said. Even Titus came, the Roman emperor, when he came and he sacked Jerusalem, he surrounded it once and then he backed away and the Christians ran out and escaped and he surrounded it twice. Just the way that in Matthew, Mark and Luke, when you look at this account altogether, it says it would happen. And so when Christ says things like you can expect the sun to turn blood red and the moon to be darkened and, and stars to fall out of the sky, we can trust that if we see these things, these are legit signs because these other legit signs also became true. And then he has the whole lesson of the fig tree and no one knows the day of the hour. Now, before we go any further, I want to point out that Matthew's ending for the Sermon of Olives or the Sermon on the Mount of Olives or the Sermon of Jesus Eschatology, whichever name we're going to give it, has a different ending than Mark's and um, Luke's. Matthew's ending literally is a whole other chapter, which we are going to study for the next three podcasts together. It's three parables. But Luke and Mark and their chapter differently. And I want to take a minute and to look at those differences. We have established that Jesus correctly identified multiple points in this prophecy that we have already seen come to pass which is why we should believe everything else in this prophecy will come to pass and should look for it, not in a I need a sign to believe kind of way, but as in when something God told us comes true, it edifies us and helps us to know what we should be doing kind of way. Does that make sense? Okay, let's keep all that in our theological eschatological brains and let's look at the ending of Mark and Luke. Luke's ending for the Sermon of Olives is a good one to um, sort of bridge this idea of the signs. Basically what Luke is telling us in his ending of this sermon is that if these signs are true, and if you have found them to be true, then you have an obligation to keep paying attention 
for. If some signs are true, we should expect the rest of the signs to also be true. And so we should watch and pay attention and not let the cares of this life take us over and dissipate any kind of spiritual connection to God, right? Because we have seen some of these things come true. We see more of them coming true, like wars and rumors of wars and like pestilences. Hello, pandemic, right? We see these things increasing and we know that some of them have already happened, like the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. So we should be on guard. And so in verse um, 34 of uh, Luke 21, the ending for the sermon is, but watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with disputation and drunkenness and the cares of this life that the day may come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the earth. But stay awake at all times, praying. You will have the strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the sun of man. And then Luke goes on to say he kept teaching these things at the temple and at the mount as people would come to him early in the morning. So evidently, this was a running dialogue Jesus had with people about the end of the world. It's not a one-time event, which makes therefore sense that there would be variance between Matthew and Mark's and Luke's account of it. But the point I would want you to see here from Luke's account of the ending is that Luke projects a version of Jesus' sermon where Jesus expects Christians to be paying attention, to not be caught off guard. He is not painting a picture of terrified Christians. He's not painting a picture of Christians who are running and, and you know, at the drop of a hat yelling, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. That's not Luke's picture. Um, Luke's picture is watch. Don't let your hearts get corrupted with drunkenness and a careless life so that when these events start to happen, because they are rapid, um, you will not be trapped. You will not be cut off guard, right? And so wake up and be awake at all times. Build your spiritual strength and be ready for one day we will have the pleasure, we will have the privilege, we will have the honor to stand before the Son of Man and actually, Matthew's parables will tell us how to prepare for just that, particularly the parable on the sheep and the goats. But before we even get to that, let's now go look and compare this to Mark's ending for this sermon. So this was Luke's ending, and we found that in Luke 21, 34 through 38. And now we're going to go to Mark's version of the ending. Now, there are a couple places we could pick up Mark's. We could pick it up in verse 32. This is, of course, Mark 13. We could pick it up in verse 32. And in verse 32, Jesus is starting in Mark's version with no man knoweth the day or the hour. We could back it up to 28. There are only a few verses here because Mark is a shorter um, version of the sermon. And in 28, it has the fig tree story there. Um, but Mark is going to close this one fast. So I'm going to 
back it up to 28, just so we have a little bit of a, a context for what Mark is trying to say. He's saying, from the fig tree, learn its lesson. Mark 13, verse 28. As soon as the branches become tender, it puts out its leaves. You know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near. At the very gate, truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until these things take place. Heaven and earth, they will pass away. My words will not pass away. But concerning the day or the hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard and keep awake. You do not know when it will come. Like a man going on a journey. When he leaves home, he puts his servants in charge, each with their work, and he commands the doorkeeper, Stay awake. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know when the master will come. Evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows. Or in the morning, least he comes suddenly and he finds you asleep. What I say to you, I say to all. This is his last words. You ready? What I say to you, I say to all. Stay awake. That will be interesting. When we flip over next week and look at the parable of the midnight cry and remember in the parallel version in Mark 13, the very last words are stay awake and quite literally in the first parable of Matthew 25 the problem is staying awake we don't sensationalize signs we don't go as I like to call it tabloid hunting and turn things that are not biblical signs into signs. Not everything is an end of the world sign. In fact, what we've learned is signs are biblical and that we take the biblical sign and we don't make it happen. We notice when it happens and we don't freak out and, you know, put a sandwich board over us and run out in the street saying the world is ending. Yes, the world is ending. And has been ending, by the way, for quite a while. What we do is we notice the season. We notice the time. We notice the fulfillment of the signs. And we seek to act in unison with what Jesus Christ is calling us to do. Now, next three podcasts will be all about what to do about it. It will be all about three parables that are about how we live when we see signs being fulfilled. And what do we do and what does that mean for our, you know, regular daily activity and, you know, faith life, family life, work life balance. But there's one sign I think is an important one. And that sign is being fulfilled even now. In fact, it is the only one sign that both in the sermon 
that Jesus gives called the Sermon of the Mount of Olives or his end time sermon, or even for that matter, in all of the book of Revelation, which we have not touched and will not touch in great depths this year, or at least this season. It's definitive sign. The most definitive sign. The only sign Jesus spells out as the final sign. Yes, false prophets and false teachers is mentioned multiple times. Earthquakes and pestilences are mentioned. Various kinds of persecution are outlined in this great sermon in all three accounts of it. There are signs in the celestial sky There are the blood red skies and the moon and the sun and the stars having astronomical phenomena, all listed by Jesus. Jesus talks about moral decay and moral failure and the world hating on one another. And we definitely see that today. We know that at any moment we could be at war with North Korea or Iran or China. These are things that we barely lift an eyebrow to now when they come across our social media because we hear it so, so much, right? Jesus said, yeah, don't be alarmed. The time is not yet. He says things like, these are just the beginning of birth pains. But there's one sign and one sign only in this whole sermon that Jesus gives that is more than a birth pain. It is more than a not yet sign. It is the sign that the game is up and that the world is about to end. And it is a sign that as I preach to you and teach to you from podcast to podcast and as you listen and hopefully share it with your neighbors or your friends or your news feed through social media that you and I partner together to complete. Of course, the sign that I speak of is the sign of Matthew 24 and verse 14. Jesus says, And this gospel, this good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. I want you to notice, dear true believer, I want you to notice as we're making this focus be all about eschatology and the study of end time events, I want you to notice end time events. There is only one thing that Jesus says is the absolute end of his eschatology. Yes, there are wars. Yes, there are pestilence. Yes, there are famines in various places and earthquakes and so forth. But the proclamation of the gospel, the preaching of the gospel, and the gospel going to the ends of the earth is the absolute and only thing Jesus says is the completion of his eschatology, his end time study. He literally says that about one sign and one sign only. And this gospel will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. 
Dan-esque. The end will come. My brother, my sister, every time you click on one of these podcasts, you are partnering with me to help bring about the end of eschatology because you're partnering with me to help share the gospel to the whole world that the esque, the end, will come. Will you remember that? As you finish listening to today's podcast, what will you do? Will you give me a review on iTunes? Will you share this on your social media? Will you just mention to a friend at work, I know a great podcast. You should check it out. Whatever you can do, don't do it for me. Do it for Jesus. Do it because the end will come. Do it because the mere fact that you are hearing my voice means that the last sign is in process to being completed. Understand, we live now in a time where I sit in this office in Arlington, Virginia, and my words can be heard in the smallest villages of China or Brazil or South Africa or Kenya or India or Bangladesh. The end will come when this gospel goes to the end of the earth. Podcast, Facebook, Twitter, it doesn't matter to Jesus. It matters. The people on the other end of this microphone make a connection with Jesus. Thank you for all your help to that end. You have been listening to a podcast by Pastor Vinny McIsaac from simplyvinny.com. Stop by our website, check out our blogs, like our Facebook page, follow us on Twitter, all that kind of jazzy promotional stuff. But most important, let's keep growing together in Jesus Christ all the more as we see the day of his return approaching. See you at the next podcast. God bless.